0: Hey, good morning and welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday service. We gather in person and online every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. In person, we are socially distanced, we have masks. It's, uh, it's a safe environment as much as we can make it. Online, our uh, Bible studies in the book of Daniel premiere at 10.30 a.m. Uh, video versions are on our uh, Facebook page and on our website, faithonhill.com. If you are watching on our Facebook, welcome. We do believe that the best viewing experience is on our website. Uh, If you are on our website or Facebook, just say hello in the chat. We'd love to know who's here and how we can pray with you and pray for you. We also have an audio-only version available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. As far as things going on around the church, we have a Midweek uh, Wednesday night Zoom small group. Uh, we pray for each other. We we talk over questions that come out of the Sunday morning Bible study. Um, check in with one another. You can email small groups at faithonhill or you can send me an email, Adam at faithonhill com, and uh, we'd love to to see you there. Uh, I know that it's a big step. I know that it's one thing to uh, come to church on Sunday morning or to watch online, but to to go into a Zoom room with people that you may not be used to interacting with. is a big step. We would love to see you there. Also during the week on our Facebook page in the video version and uh, Apple Music and Spotify podcasts, uh, we have the 20-minute Bible study. All you have to do is search Faith on Hill on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or go to our Facebook page and uh, then you can get our 20-minute Bible study podcast, which is currently going through the book of Exodus. Uh. Also, next Sunday morning, we are having our annual church family meeting. Uh, that's an in-person only event. Uh, it's going to be very short. We're not really going to do a big, norm, you know, I think uh, in 2019, uh, 2020, we, we did a much bigger meeting. If I remember right, for 2020, it was after church and there was some food. This isn't that thing. We're, we're, we're going to have the meeting. Uh, essentially, what we're going to do is just vote to... Uh, approve the previous year's budget, and the plan is to just not spend money if we don't have to. Uh, we've, you know, weathered through 2020 reasonably well, um, but we do have to do some of these administrative things, like approve the the 2021 budget, uh, things like that. So that's what we're going to be doing. And uh, if you have a Bible open to the Book of Daniel, Chapter Eight, last week Daniel had a vision of four beasts. This week, he's got a vision of two, a ram and a goat, and we're going to find out what that's all about as we continue to study God's Word together. Daniel chapter 8, starting in verse 1, says, In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me in chapter 7 last week. In my vision— I saw myself in the citadel of Susa, in the providence of Elam. In the vision, I was beside the Yulai Canal. I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns, standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. Seems normal so far, but wait. Uh, verse 3, I looked up, or sorry, uh, into verse 3. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. So he sees a ram, and it has two horns, but but one of them is kind of normal size, and then later another horn grows, and it's longer than the first one. That's unusual. Verse four, I watched the rams as it charged towards the west, the north, and to the south. No animal could stand against it. No and none could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased, and it became great. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between its eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. It came towards the two-horned ram that I had seen standing beside the canal, and it charged in at a great, ra- at a, it charged at it in great rage. I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram, shattering its two horns. The ram was powerless. To stand against it, the goat knocked it to the ground and trampled it, and none could rescue the ram from its power. The goat became very great, but at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off, and its place in its place, four prominent horns grew up, towards the four winds of heaven. Out of them, one, out of them came another horn, which started small but grew in power to the south and to the east, and towards the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the host of heaven, and it threw some of the starry host down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord. It took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord, and his sanctuary was thrown down. And because of rebellion, the Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and truth was thrown to the ground. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, the surrender of the sanctuary, and the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people. And he said to me, It will take 2,300 evenings and mornings Then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man. And I heard a man's voice from the Uli calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. And as he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified, and I fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand the vision. It concerns the time of the end. While he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. And he said, I am going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath. Because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece. The large horn between its eyes is the first king. The four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation, but will not have the same power. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a fierce-looking king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power, he will cause astounding devastation and will succeed at whatever he does he will destroy those who are mighty the holy people he will cause deceit to prosper and he will consider himself superior when they feel secure he will consider uh, when they uh, when they feel secure he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes yet he will be destroyed But not by human power. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that was given to you is true, but seal up the vision, for it concerns distant or the distant future. I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. Then I got up and I went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision, it was beyond understanding. This is God's word. And I pray that we receive his grace to accept it as authoritative in our life. I pray that we receive God's power so that we can live by the words he has given us. Amen. I want to give a few random thoughts before we get into the heart of what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, The first is this, random thought number one you might have recognized a name. In verse 16, we're given the name of one of these holy ones. Verse 16, the voice called out saying, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. Most likely, this is the same Gabriel that we read about in the Gospels. The same Gabriel who appears to Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, in the temple. The same Gabriel, who in the village of Nazareth appears to a young woman, a virgin named Mary, and says that you, by the power of God, will have a son, and you will name him Yeshua, Jesus. It's very likely the same Gabriel, in case you were wondering. That's random thought number one. Random thought number two, you might not have been wondering about, but he specifies. In verse one, Daniel says, I had this vision and I saw myself in the citadel or the fortress of Susa. Now, if you have read the book of Esther recently, you might be familiar with Susa. It was a a fortress, a palace, it was a center of power in the Persian Empire, but it was not a center of power in the Babylonian Empire. Now Daniel, at the beginning of this chapter, tells us when this happened, in the third year of King Belshazzar. You remember King Belshazzar? He was the guy a few chapters ago... um, He decided to have a big, drunken, raging party. And then all of a sudden, a hand, just a hand, no body, just a hand, starts writing the judgment of God against him on a wall. That guy. Very possibly, Daniel had this vision weeks or even days before that event. Give us a time frame. The Babylonians were still an empire. The Medes and the Persians had not yet conquered them. And Susa, there is debate. Historians do not agree on this. The fortress of Susa, the citadel of Susa, existed at this point in history. This they agree on. What they do not agree on, from what I read, is whether or not Susa was under Babylonian control. Some scholars and some historians, and not just Christian historians, but, but just general secular historians, some believe that it was, that it was under Babylonian control, but that it was not important. We have forts and um, you know places you can go out to, Fort Stevens, out in Astoria, and, and you can see the fortifications and everything that's built up. But it's not a a working fortress anymore, it's just there, it's unimportant. Um, And there are working military installations that are relatively unimportant in the grand scheme of things. So maybe Susa was under the control of Babylon. Other scholars believe that it was not yet. Either way, I think the same truth applies. Either this fortress of Susa Daniel sees it's either not under the control of the Babylonians or it is but it is a backwater it's not important either way it would become an incredibly important center of political and military power in in the Middle East and in the Eastern Mediterranean in just days, weeks, years, in a very short amount of time. That tells me a couple of things. It tells me, first, that we can get so wrapped up in what's important now. What's important today. I mean, have you ever looked through the bargain bin at Goodwill? And I specifically mean the ones for like old music old movies and they don't even have to be that old you know every so often you'll stumble across something and you'll you'll see um you know a movie maybe it's on netflix or or something and you go oh man i forgot about that movie it came out like in 2002 so like 19 years ago and oh man that guy was big like that guy was in every movie 2000 2001 2002 but like 20 years later nobody knows who that guy is And what it tells me is we put great importance on places and people and things in this moment and then you realize that they are fading, they are passing away. The other thing that this tells me is that we may look at human history or or our present and think this is where all the action is, this is where all of the importance is. And yet God looks at human culture and human society. He looks at human history. He looks at humanity's present. He looks at humanity's future. And he says, I know where the really important things are. Everybody would have looked and said Babylon is where it's at. And God says, Babylon's going to be washed away. It's going to be conquered. This backwater, this unimportant place, this forgotten fortress that's going to be the center of action coming up. So those are my random thoughts after reading Daniel chapter 8. But Daniel gets this vision, his second vision that he's written down, and he has the vision of this goat. And this goat has two horns, and we're told that the meaning of this is that it represents the two kingdoms of Media and Persia. Medo-Persian Empire. Um, There was a a Persian Empire and there was the the Empire of Media. And a few years or decades before it had been combined through conquest, conquest and warfare. I'm having some trouble with my words, I guess. Conquest and warfare. And they had been combined and they had been put together in this union and it started out that the Medes were the more powerful group. And so that's why they got their name first. But over time and maneuvering, the Persians became far more important. You know, it's kind of like how, uh, you know, on the West Coast, right? Like all three Western West Coast states, our, our capitals were established, were much more important, right? Sacramento was a much more important Uh, area than San Francisco or L.A. Um, Olympia, that was the place to be on the Puget Sound. But of course, Seattle, uh, you know, Salem, but now Portland. Uh, You know, so so the Medes started out as the most important, but then, like in the vision, that horn that grew later, but then grew longer, the, the Persians became dominant. But then he sees another animal, this goat, this shaggy goat, But it's like a unicorn it has one horn sticking out of the middle of its head it's a unicorn goat and it comes charging and destroying here's the meaning i want to give the meaning of this vision for god's people the jews and then i want to give the meaning of this vision for christians us living in exile today the meaning of this vision for the Jews, is that they will survive the Babylonian Empire. The fall of Babylon will not destroy them. And you think about this. The Jewish people had been in exile in Babylon for about 70 years at this point. Maybe a little less, maybe a little more, but about 70 years they had been in Exile and captivity. That means that multiple generations had been born who knew nothing other than life in Babylon. If you were a 20 year old, if you were 20 years old when Daniel had this vision, that means that your people had been in captivity for 50 years. It's likely that your father and mother had been born into captivity, and your grandparents might have remembered. They would have been young when they were taken into captivity. But you grew up, you're now third generation. That's your home. And what God is speaking to to his people through Daniel is that you are going to survive the fall of the Babylonian Empire. It's not in my notes, but I think this is applicable to us who are living in exile today, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, here among the kingdoms of man and humanity. As much as I love America, and it would bum me out if America just disappeared tomorrow, if this world is not my home, America is not the promised land, it's not the kingdom of God, it's not the better place. And as much as I love America, and I say that as somebody who has traveled more than the average American, unlike most Americans, I have lived in other countries, not just visited, but lived for years at a time outside of this country. I love this country, but it's not our home. And if America falls, we, the children of God, the citizens of the kingdom of heaven, will endure and that's our big idea today. Exiles will endure. So the meaning of this vision is for God's chosen people, the Jews. You will survive the fall of Babylon. They will survive the decline of Persia because then Persia becomes great. And if you read the uh, you know the book of Ezra Nehemiah. It's under the Persian kings that God's chosen people get to return to the land of Israel. They get to reestablish the temple and the city of Jerusalem. It's it's under, uh, in the book of Esther, under Persian kings, that there is an attempt made at, at a first holocaust against the Jews. But then God not only protects them, but delivers them and ensures security for them during the Persian Empire. And so then, what happens? Well, if you've seen the movie 300, which again, I'm not recommending, I think I mentioned it last week, I'm only referencing it as a historical point, it's the only movie I know about that deals with this, the Persians went west, they had conquered, as the vision said, they had conquered north, they had conquered south, they conquered as far south Uh, We would think of Egypt not as south but as west, but they would have thought of it as south. They conquered as far south as Egypt. They conquered north. And now they went west. And they hit the wall against Greece. And then Greece hit back. And this horn, this ruler, on that shaggy goat, Scholars agree, and I think it's obvious, is Alexander the Great. And they conquer back, and they crush, and they ended the Persian Empire. But not quite that. They were allowed to endure for a time. Uh, The Persian Empire was sort of under the rule of the Greeks. And then when the Greeks fell, they sort of were there in the shadows, and they're always kind of around. But if you're a, a Jew... And you're living in the Persian Empire, things are pretty good. There is a strong Jewish community in Babylon. There's a strong Jewish community in Susa, which becomes the main center of power for the Persian Empire. There's a strong, uh, you know, presence all through the Persian Empire. There is a re-established Jerusalem and a re-established temple, and the the people of, of God can live in the chosen promised land if they choose. Things are good for you under the Persians. And then the Greeks come. And God's saying, you will survive the decline of the Persian Empire. But the Greeks didn't last. Just like the vision said, Alexander the Great died at a young age. And he had two sons, neither of which lasted to succeed him. And so what they did is they divided Alexander's empire into four. They divided it into four. And the idea was that there would be these four smaller kingdoms. And if anybody from the outside came and attacked one, the other three would come help them. That was the theory. But these four sub-empires were what replaced him, which is exactly what the vision says. Uh, Verse 21, the shaggy goat is the king of Greece. The large horn between his eyes is the first king, the four horns that replace the one that was broken off, represent four kingdoms that will emerge, but will not have the same power. Which is exactly what history tells us happened. That Alexander's kingdom did not pass to his sons, but it was divided into four. And then it says, out of these four, another will come. They'll survive the the fall of the Babylonians. They'll survive the decline of the Persians. They'll they'll survive the fragmentation of Greece. You know, this Greek empire comes, takes you over, and then you look around and say, okay, well, it's not going to be that bad, and then it fragments into four, and you're like, whoa, what's going to happen now? No, you'll survive that. And then came along this guy. What does it say? It says that... There will come a fierce-looking king. A master of intrigue will arise. Verse 24, he will become very strong, but not by his own power. It's almost universally agreed that this is talking about Antiochus Epiphanes. And you can uh, search him on Google, Wikipedia. He's not hard to find out about. Antiochus Epiphanes was a ruler who came not through his own personal charisma or his own military prowess like Alexander the Great. Through intrigue and bribery and corruption and and all of this back-channel politicking, he started to build up his own power base from these four scattered kingdoms. And if you know the story of how Hanukkah happened and the Maccabee revolts, Antiochus Epiphanes came into Jerusalem and he conquered it. And he came into the temple and he defiled it. And he sacrificed a pig on the altar, desecrating the temple. And God is telling his people, you will survive even this. What a comfort this would have been, what a comfort this would have been for those who survived, the, who, who were in the Babylonian empire and then it fell and, and they have this prophecy telling them, you will survive, you will not be destroyed with the Persians. And the same is true when Persia fell to the Greeks and the same is true, they would have had this prophecy. When Antiochus Epiphany defiled their temple, they would have been told it's going to last 2,300 evenings and mornings. Now, how long is that? Well, evenings and mornings, 2,300, that's not one day. That's an evening and a morning. So if you cut it in half, 2,300, you know, you cut it in half to uh, 1,150 evening uh, days, that's a little over three years. Which, by the way, spoiler alert, God knows what he's talking about, that that is exactly how long that time of desecration was before the jews under the maccabees were able to finally get rid of antiochus Epiphanes. so what an encouragement that would have been for them now you might say adam well that's great for them but what about for me i'm not jewish i'm a christian i don't live in in the middle east i don't live in israel i live in oregon it's 2021 what does this mean for me a couple things First of all, in Matthew chapter, 5, uh, chapter 24, verse 15, Jesus is speaking about the future. And then he directly references this prophecy and one like it in Daniel chapter 9 that we'll get to in a couple weeks. And Jesus says, just like the things that you heard Daniel talking about, when you see that happen, Not when you saw that happen in the past, because Jesus lived uh, about 150, 200 years after that had happened. But he says when you see it happen in the future. So Jesus makes it clear that things in this book, some of them are historical, but some of them have not yet happened. So for me as a Christian in exile, This tells me that this isn't just speaking to people in the past, but it could be speaking to me in my future or my children in their future. It helps me to understand how we approach biblical prophecy as we're studying through it. It also tells me that God's chosen people, the Jews, are consistently, constantly under threat. I've said this before. I will say this again. There is no place for racism in the Christian faith. The Bible says that in Christ there is no slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, male or female. Everyone is equal before God. And so if if you hold something against somebody, you look down on them because they're a different race than you are, a different gender than you are, a different socioeconomic status, that's unchristian. There's no place for it. Anti-Semitism often is a little bit of all three. I don't understand how somebody could claim the name of Christ and then be anti-Semitic. How can those of us who follow a Jewish carpenter hate his people? How can those of us who name our children Matthew and Mark, Luke and John, how we name our children Hannah and Rebecca after biblical figures? Those are Jewish people. God's chosen people are constantly under threat. They're under threat right now. They're under threat right now, all over the world. In France, anti-Semitism is on the rise. In America, anti-Semitism is on the rise. Will God's church care about them? I think that's a very valid question. The, The third thing that I believe that this speaks to us is this. At the end of everything, when Daniel is done seeing this vision, it says that he was, he was it, it, it took a toll on him physically. And I have once or twice in my life seen what I would call a vision, but nothing like this. I can't imagine what it did to him physically, but he had to just lay in bed for, for days. It, it took it out of him. But then it says in verse 27 that he got up and he went about the king's business. And he sees the rise and the fall of kings and kingdoms. He sees the suffering of his own people. He gets the great hope. He sees a restored Jerusalem and a restored temple. But then he sees a vision of its desecration by Antiochus Epiphanes. And likely, I think, he also sees a vision of its future desecration by the one that you would commonly refer to as the Antichrist. And we'll get more into that in two weeks. Spoiler, heads up, teaser, whatever you want to call it. And then after all that, it says he gets back up and goes about the king's business. And the question for us is, will we despair for human kingdoms? Or will we get back to our king's business? The, the, The idolatry... Of human culture that is so prevalent right now in the church in America and it's everywhere don't think I'm, I'm picking a side every four years part of the church rejoices oh we have a new ruler it's going to be so great every four years part of the church despairs oh the last one was so great and this new one is so terrible Or will we get up and get about our king's business because our true king is Jesus and his business is to have lives restored, have hope brought into hopeless places, have light shine into darkness. Will we be about our king's business? My parents' generation loved Bible prophecy who were the most popular preachers of the 70s and the 80s and into the 90s Jack Hayford Charles Swindoll Chuck Smith John MacArthur later on Greg Laurie and yes there was also Charles Stanley and others but but the majority if you were to like put a top 10 list of most popular Preachers in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, 80% plus, all would have emphasized Bible prophecy in the end times, all you know, across the board. And it didn't matter what type of Christian you were, whether you were a Pentecostal charismatic like Jack Hayford, whether you were a, a very non-Pentecostal Baptist reformed like John MacArthur, whether you were something in between like Chuck Smith or Chuck Swindoll, didn't matter. You talked about Bible prophecy. My parents' generation, that was their thing. My generation and the generation younger than mine generally didn't care. I think God would have us be somewhere in the middle. We pay attention to the things that God has bothered to talk to us about, and Bible prophecy is a large part of the Bible. But then we get about God's business, and we bring hope, and we recognize that the days are evil and those of you who are educators, you see the evil inflicted on children. Those of you who are healthcare workers, you see the evil as, as we sin against God by sinning against our bodies. It doesn't take much to see how this world, old, young, right, left, up, down, doesn't matter, black, white, whoever, everyone is destroying themselves in sin. Sadly, many even in the church. It's time to be about our father's business. And if you say, but I don't know that God is my father. I don't know that God is my king. His kingdom is open and calling to you and welcoming to you. Come and be part of it. God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. And he knows the future that... He has planned for those who would receive Him. Let's trust in that. Let's hope in that today. We'll see you Wednesday night. You can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com for the Zoom link. God bless you.